0: Welcome to episode 202 of The Dive Down, a Magic the Gathering podcast focused on the latest decks, trends, and strategies for the casual spike. My name is Stanislav here in Chicago, and with me on the line from Denver, Colorado,
1: the one and only Shane Beeps. Stanislav, my friend, you've changed rooms. Yeah. There's no longer a a man peering over your shoulder, glaring at me for the audacity to make a podcast.
0: His name was Henry Crown. I I have the spirit now just (laughs) gently placing its hand on my shoulder to guide me in this
1: podcast. How are you Stan? Been better Shane. Oh, well I'm am I'm, I'm sorry to hear that. So the it's it's lingering the covid. Yes, the covid lingers
0: now. It's a real thing. Uh, yeah, oh, it's it really really is. I've um I have this like tension headache cuz I feel like my sinuses just won't let out and I just feel like all this pressure in my head in a way I've never felt before. So that really sucks
1: today. Every day it's something that's, new. That's just that's adulthood. That's adulthood Stanislav.
0: Well, I know someone who's an expert in adulthood and all of it's yep. trials and tribulations. <laughs> and that's the godfather, Dave Harbaker. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Big adult energy. How dare you, you set me up with that? Oh, boy. Yeah. <laughs> maybe I am. Maybe I am. But really, we're just all trying to make it through every day. Indeed. You know, just trying to help people out whenever you can. Like the other day when Stan texted me asking me for recommendations for a hamburger. Yeah. The best hamburger in town or near town. <laughs>
0: Yeah, the, the I you know what I really wanted was a Culver's burger, but the Culver's is like a, a ten minute drive, and I was worried that if I even drove to pick it up, by the time it got home, it wouldn't it wouldn't be good anymore. Right. So, so we
2: went to Movement Burger Movement in Elmwood Park, Illinois.
0: Yeah, it was not bad.
2: The pickles were very sweet. Oh no, that's the worst. I
1: just have to say, if you if you have a sweet pickle on like your burger or on the side, I just I just can't go to your restaurant that often.
0: Yeah, I prefer a briny pickle on my burgers and hot dogs. Yeah, that, that's really my only complaint. But otherwise, it was kind of like perfect. It hit the mark. It was a, a nice smash burger. You know, I love it. You know who penny. has
2: has perfect recommendations? Adults, Stan. That's who have, have perfect <laughs> recommendations. So there it is. You're welcome. And you're welcome to your family. And uh, yeah, and everybody out there, if you want a smash burger on the north side of Oak Park, Illinois, Burger Movement, Elmwood Park, check them out. Nailed it. What does Burger Movement sound like? Is it like you know, is it movement? Well it well, it is spelled M-O-O-V-E-M-E-N-T, so it's not it's not messing yeah. around. We know what it sounds like. I thought it was like 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 a classical music reference.
1: <laughs> the you <know>? burger movement. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah.
0: Dave, have you been to the grocery store across the street from Burger Movement, the Fresh Time? Oh, quite yeah.
2: Frequently. It's a really good grocery store, right? It's, it's nice. It's like a better Trader Joe's, honestly.
0: Yeah, and it's always it's always empty in there. I know. I really, unlike Pete's, which is just like slamming, always slamming. We have this one grocery store in town where, like, whenever you're there, it's kind of like trying to leave a parking garage after a music festival, and you're just like, <laughs> Oh, God, just surrounded by mouth breathers. And and, so and you mean, bar- like every Trader Joe's, but
1: there too. Yeah, yeah. But fresh yeah, Trader time. Joe's parking lots Good. are events.
2: All right, Fresh Time, get at us. Burger Movement, get at us. We should get some local sponsors. We honestly. still, yeah. Um, any any of the car dealerships in Addison, Illinois, or <laughs> or out in Hillside, want to get at us? Uh, we're we're ready to move these Chevys. You won't believe these crazy low prices.
1: <laughs> Let's just do a Lexus ad drop right yeah. here. It's
2: December to remember on the dive down.
0: Yeah, exactly.
2: <laughs> we do have a car sitting on our driveway with a butt with a bow on it a giant red bow yeah but that's that's an aerodynamic bow
0: all right enough hilarious jokes let's talk about this week's show shall we nothing funny about it we're doing a deck dive into Jeskai breach in modern the best deck in the format question mark question mark it? it is a ragavan deck which has that going for it and you know what's cool about this ragavan deck it kills you as soon as you tap out
2: yeah, it's got a ra- it's a Ragavan deck and a uh, an Urza Saga deck together. At la- two great tastes that taste great together. Outside of Jun Saga, Ragavan Saga, yum.
0: Yeah, many people have started to believe that this is perhaps one of the best decks in the format. So we want to get a little taste for ourselves. In fact, just to make it a little extra timely, Ross Miriam reached the finals of the Energy Louisville Modern Main Event Showdown. Oh. Modern showdown. He reached the finals with Jessica Breach. He did. Didn't win, though, did he? Did not
2: win. Stuff I happens. I think it was his only loss. Correct. I'm looking at the standings right now. Spoilers, Let's, man. But yes, yeah, so speaking of Energy Louisville, before we get into Breach, we'll be talking about the tournaments, the modern. 15K showdown, as well as Energy Series Player of the Year race. Came down to a photo finish in a way, but first, Dan, housekeeping.
0: Let's well, housekeep. You've got an easy housekeeping. Easy housekeeping. No new patrons, no increased tiers, no new reviews. We don't need them. We want them. We love them. <laughs> but
2: we don't need them. We don't need them. Hey, everybody out there, if you're thinking about it, if you're thinking about joining us on, on the Patreon, we'll talk about how to do it in a minute. Make it a December to remember. I think everybody remembers <laughs> when they joined the Dive Down Nation. That could be. You today do it, make it a dive down holiday season. If you have a car that doesn't work anymore and you'd like to donate it to us, it's 1 800 <laughs> Cars for Dives. So, if we did have a 1 800 number, would it be like Div Down? Div Down or would it be like di- Dive Dow, Dive D W N, <laughs>
1: Dive I like when, like, you know, the 800 numbers they just have like nine letters because the last two like just didn't matter they so just, it's just don't like, care yeah yeah they just don't care It's like yeah they're just gonna push those extra two we'll
2: be the dive dow 1-800 dive dow
0: it's easier than that it's 1-800 call
2: tdd oh 1-800 call tdd is pretty good let's get that how do you register that can we make it 1-900 call tdd <laughs> and it gets a little more interesting you know what i mean yeah we right. give you like we give you t- tips on your video games
1: sure you or maybe other sultriest things. voices <laughs>
0: You know, I once got in trouble growing up for calling a 900 number, and it's it was the WWF
1: hotline. <laughs> <laughs> did you talk to The Rock?
0: I did. I did.
1: Yeah. But if you do want to make it a December to remember, if you do want to become a citizen of the Dive Down Nation, head on over to patreon.com slash the Dive Down, and you know this works. A dollar a week is your entry level into the Dive Down Nation gets to our discord going up from there gets you things like tokens and pins and deck boxes and play mats things like that we appreciate all the ongoing support from all of you out there if you want to help support us patreon.com slash the dive down also of course mana traders if you want to get 10 percent off your first two months of mana traders mana traders service the best card rental service i use it again I, i love using this thing like every week and just being like yeah I just can't believe this thing works. I think about it all the time. Just like, how do they have this network of like 37 bots that just like shuffles cards between them? I wouldn't want to design that, but they did. And you can pay them to use a service
2: 10% off your first few months. Use code the dive down 10. And if you'd like to get grooming, shaving, bathing, oiling products from our grooming care sponsor bear and man check them out the dive down 15 to get 15 percent off your first order and finally as we prepare to talk about the energy championship series event in louisville if you want paper magic cards check out nerd rage gaming use code dive 8 to get 8 percent off of your orders there nerd rage gaming <laughs> all right sweet speaking of nerd rage dave yeah nerd rage in louisville one of my favorite towns? What a great city. I love Louisville. I do like I do like Louisville. Louisville's not yeah. bad. Had had some fun times <laughs> there. Used to go to the Derby all the time. This is a little bit a little bit different vibe event from the Kentucky Derby, but I'm thinking about going to the Derby this year. Did you have do you I'm have your I'm hat? Ready. Right? Yeah, my
1: my my buddy John's down there. I haven't seen him in a long time. His kids keep getting taller, and I want to wear a fun hat.
0: Yeah. Mhm.
1: So all those signs point to Louisville. I actually bought my
0: old Border Monastery Swiss Spears in Louisville, Kentucky. Really? When were you down there? Last April, we did a road trip to South Carolina. And on the way back, we spent the night in Louisville. And, you know, whenever I'm sleeping in a town, I always do the wizard <laughs> event search. And I found an LGS. <laughs> this is right around the time Time Spiler Remastered was coming
2: out. So maybe two years ago. You're know, like, honey, I got to get these cards. Now that's funny. They had them, they had them in stock. I couldn't leave town without them. That's right. All right. Well, this was the last event of the Excellent Energy Championship Series this year. The last one. A lot of things happening here. People are coming from all over the place. As you mentioned, Ross Miriam made the drive from Roanoke, Virginia with Tom Todd Anderson. A number of other people, I think, traveled from distances near and far to come to this final Energy Series paper event. It's gained momentum, I think, across the whole year. And there were a couple other things with, that went with this. One was... Who's going to win season three? Who is going to win the player of the year race? You know, people getting bids into the energy championship series, which I think is early next year. Um, But there are some pretty interesting things with that. But the main thing that we're going to spend time on here, of course, is the main event, which was a 15K modern showdown, followed by a 5K pioneer trial on Sunday. So the modern showdown, 171 players, pretty cool to see that number it's it's a little bit lower than it was uh in the kind of the middle of the year but it's higher than the number that was in thanksgiving weekend in chicago with 149 i think december's tough for big tournaments honestly you know so i i think 171 is still a pretty good number of players we actually went through and checked every deck list in MTG Melee to make sure that they were right, normalized the data, consolidated some of the archetypes so we give you a breakdown that we think made a little bit more sense to us. Uh, I will talk about how we made some of those consolidations here, but it is different from the data that's on MTG Melee in a way that is not small. It's also not giant. So let's hop into it. Also, I just want to say, I learned how to make a pivot table on my own to do this data. Oh, my man. Stan, are you proud of me?
0: You learned how to highlight a section of a spreadsheet and
2: click insert pivot table? I did. And I learned which buttons to press to make which yeah. piece of data come up. Yeah. I also figured out how to calculate the aggregate win percentage for the archetypes. I think that's Ooh. truly
0: impressive. That's that's the hot stuff right there. And you know, once you're in the pivot table figuring out like what to put in values and what to put in columns and rows, that's yep. I'm sure that that probably kept you up for a bit, but the aggregate
2: match win percentage that is spicy. Yeah. I'll, I'll talk to you. I'll share with you later how I did it, Stan. Thanks. Just so you know. All right. Anyway, here it comes. Number one deck of this tournament, the final modern major tournament of the year. Anybody want to bet what it was? Wait, you've already looked at the sheets. It was, is it Murktide With 28 pilots, 16.37% of the meta and a 54% match win rate. Better than usual, I would say, on the match win right there. But I still think this might be the highest that we've seen for Murktide this year. Correct me if I'm wrong. Sixteen.
1: That sounds right. I mean, how does this happen? Like, how does, how does, what does the ebb and flow of Murktide look like? You know what I mean? It's a real Murktide meta in Louisville. They say. It's, this is not. Why is this surprising, to you guys? It's been like the
0: most popular deck like, in the format since Yorian got banned and. Prior to that, it was, like, always in the top three most popular decks.
1: Because it hasn't been showing up in this fashion at NRGs specifically. Like, the the people that seem to go to these NRG events have not been bringing Murktide in, like, a 16% clip, especially recently.
2: It's been closer to 10 or 11, for what it's yeah. worth. So, bit of an uptick here. It was medium successful. Uh, I mean, I still think it's a fine deck. And we'll talk about later if, how many of them made the top eight or, or didn't make the top eight. Number two, deck in the room. It's... Hammer, going along with what else you might expect from 2022. We're really closing the the year out in style. There were 16 players on all types of Hammer. Um, There were Bant Hammer lists, and Blue White Hammer lists, and Mono White Hammer lists, and selesnia Hammer lists. Many of these were tagged just incorrectly in mtg melee but i'll talk quickly about what the differences are mono white you can imagine what mono white is it doesn't have spell pierce doesn't have the blue sideboard cards doesn't have reality chip in the few cases where those decks have reality chip it's just your baseline hammer the selesnia lists that i saw all of the ones that triggered green in some fashion from what i could tell were doing it to play horizon canopy and they were using haywire might mm. Either uh, as a uh, saga target main and occasionally having some number of those in the sideboard as well. And then the bant lists were a combination, were blue light white decks that were playing Haywire Might. So there wasn't really anything too spicy with these lists, other than the major difference in this archetype is still blue white versus mono white. And we had 16 total. Uh, Players on Hammer nine point three six percent of the meta, a fifty seven percent aggregate min match win rate. I can tell you that the mono white decks were close to half, and blue was close to half of that number. And the mono white decks did have a higher match win rate than than fifty seven percent. They were they were there. This average is brought down by the blue white decks.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Man, I just have to ask: Is it just a type of person who does not want to play Hammer? Because I feel like we have seen a consistent you know, 55-plus percent win rate from Hammer across all these NRG events, across other type of events that we're seeing. Hammer just keeps being an amazing deck, and yet a ton of players, maybe they're just like, I just don't want to play this deck. I, just, I want to play Murktide. I want to play Burn. I want to play just all these other decks that I just don't see being as consistent, as powerful as Hammer. Look in the mirror. No, I'm not playing hammer either. Yeah,
2: yeah. No, no. That I'm not playing it. I mean, I've I've been playing it lately, but um, not to much success so far. But I have been trying to pick it up since it's the second most popular deck.
1: I, mean, I do just feel like it's a deck that rewards experience, rewards a lot of play time, uh, has a ton of power, has a ton of like grinding, and, and I just feel like it's a kind of like it's a it's a spike deck. I feel like in a lot of ways, and I just am continually surprised. I mean, it is second place here, but I feel like you hammer could be 20% and they wouldn't be surprised based on its results. But I don't know. I guess if you're out there and you thought about playing hammer, maybe think about it now.
2: Dive in telling This to myself, give yourself hammer at Christmas. That's what we say. Make it a December to remember. Yeah. Here's a hammer with a bow on it. Coming your way. Number three, rhinos. All kinds of rhino builds we had teamer rhino builds we had four color rhino builds they were close to the same amount as well there were 14 people on rhinos overall for 8.9 or 8.19 percent of the meta and they were around 47 percent aggregate win rate so it was less than 50 percent win rates unfortunately for hammer or rhinos sorry i mean I don't remember it being this high in the meta in a while, though, so I feel like maybe we got a little bit of a dive-down bump here, Stan, after your discussion last week, and maybe just our campaign over the last four or five months to bring Rhinos back to the masses.
0: Well, yes, it was us, of course. But in addition to our sway, like Rhinos decks have been terrorizing Europe, just like winning tournaments all across the continent. Um, I, I believe I mentioned last week, Rhinos made the finals of both challenges. Maybe that was two weeks ago. Um, so I, I think that people are starting to recognize that rhinos is very powerful. The presence of all this murktide, I bet, was kind of a problem, followed by the the fourth most popular deck. Um, really several decks in the top in addition to Murktide can can be a little bit of a problem for rhinos, but I think we're likely to see Rhinos continue to be pretty popular just because
2: like it's been taking down so many tournaments. Yeah, I think it, it fits a kind of specific spot in the meta rotation to kind of where it's it's like, you know, once certain decks wax and wane, Rhinos has a moment to bubble its way up, but we haven't ever really seen it outside of the top seven or eight decks over the last four or five months. And I think it's kind of bubbled up to being third and then maybe it will recede a little bit in the next kind of turn of the wheel, but we'll see what happens Fourth deck on the list, Ractos Scam. So here is the biggest surprise to me Ractos Scam, way on the upswing last time, really good performer at Chicago at Mundelein. This time it's got 11 pilots with 6.4% of the meta. In Chicago and Mundelein, it had a 63% match win record in Chicago. Oh. This weekend, this weekend, a 37% Ooh. match win record. That's bad. That's how, bad, Jerry. How did that happen? I don't know. I don't know how that happened. It's interesting because I was wondering if rhinos might be a not great matchup for Rakto's scam. But you mentioned that it might be the other way around a moment ago. Yeah, at I least don't you hinted it. it might be.
0: Yeah, it's it's scary. Like the turn one grief in particular is is really bad, and and flickering fury is like a great way to answer rhinos um, in a way that's you know as close to card neutral as scam is going to get. Yeah.
2: Yeah, I mean yeah. it's interesting because I, I think Scam has a pretty good matchup against Hammer, of course, because it's a Fury deck, and so you're right. always that's always going to be pretty good against all those little white creatures. And then it's not bad, but not great against Murktide, I would say.
0: Yeah. But, so I always thought it was good against Murktide, too, but I've been seeing more chatter, you know, among the content creators on Twitter that like Scam really has problems with decks running Expressive iteration, just because Scam yeah. runs out of cl- cards so quickly. An expressive iteration is just such a great way to kind of like keep the gas yeah. going that even a, an early Fury, like maybe still has a hard time against like uh a reasonably quick unholy heat, or eventually like if they get down a murk tide region, like you kind of have to be able to flicker Fury to to answer it. And in some cases, like you can get the Merc tide region to be above an eight eight anyway. So Maybe, um, yeah, maybe Merktide was just one of the reasons why we see a 54% win rate for that deck is just because, like, it got to beat up on decks like Rhinos and Scam and, you know, what comes next. I don't want to spoil your 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 list here, Dave. <laughs> Take but, us like, to the next one. Take us well, to the next one. The next one was Burn, which had 10 copies, almost 6% of the meta, 42% win rate. And, like, I love playing against Burn as Merc like... I think all of your counter spells and spell pierces like are really good in the matchup. And I have a feeling like the field was right for Merktite to kind of just like beat up on Rhinos and Burn and maybe like enough scam matches to,
2: to get so far ahead. Yeah. And people brought Merktite, like we said, and it had a reasonable match win percentage. Burn was not good. I mean, that's rounding out our top five. I do want to talk about a few more decks as we look at decks that were above four percent of the meta. There's two more. One is Living End. That was the sixth most played deck. It had nine pilots, Back. 5.2% of the meta, a 59% match win ratings for our best uh, match win percentage out of our top decks here. Living End, almost 60% winners. That's really good. Yes, that is really good. And and, and there's nothing new to the Living End decks, right? Like, Not that I saw from Spot. Checking the lists, yeah. Yeah, yeah just like your other Grief deck, essentially yeah exactly and then the last deck in this top tier breach number seven breach was nine pilots or sorry eight pilots 4.68 percent of the meta with a 54.59 percent match win uh percentage this is all breaches except for gruel breach so many of the decks here were tagged Is it Breach or Jeskai Breach? These are all together, basically. Didn't really care whether they played Teferi or Main or Side or Prismatic Ending. I just put them all in one bucket, and this is what you get. Seventh most popular deck. Interesting that it had a weird drop off because it was the top deck in the room at Mundaline, and now it is number seven in the meta. So it went from like nine or 10% of the meta in Mundaline to only being four or 5% of the meta here. I wonder how many of these people were the same people who piloted in those two tournaments, though. <laughs> Probably a good number of them. Yeah, Louisville's not too far
1: from Chicago. Like, if you're in if you're in the tournament, you really want to travel and grind a little bit, like, you know,
2: they're a drive. Yep. So those are all the decks that were above 4% of the meta in Louisville. The two standouts in my mind by win rates are Hammer and Living End, Hammer with 57%, and Living End, again, with 59%. Um, the next two decks after that would be... Hammer and Breach, or it would be murktide and Breach, both hovering around 55% win rates. The rest of the decks didn't really perform that great. In this this top bucket this is not uh removing not removing mirror matches for what it's worth but i checked this against the energy standings where they did remove mirror matches and even though some of the decks are mislabeled there these win rates are somewhat close to what they had so it's not like checked my work a little bit that way um, above the two percent bracket so the next bracket down are all the decks that were above two percent of the meta that basically means if they had more than if they had four or more pilots in order these decks were affinity titan Yogmoth, four color control five color creativity and blue white control control decks grouped together would have been four percent of the meta if we did that but we did not do that so instead they are lower the one real standout in this bracket to me was four color control with a 62 and percent match win rating there are only four pilots on it of course three of the four had winning records and one was zach allen who went six and two he was on a heater on his way to top eights but he got paired down in round eight and lost, and that made him miss top eight. And not only miss top eight, I saw on Twitter that he said he missed top 16 as a result of losing in round eight to a pair down, unfortunately, which brutal. sucks. So really sorry about that, Zach. But that was a big part of why uh, there was 62.5% win rate from that deck. And then all uh, out of all the decks that had more than one pilot, there were tons of decks that had one pilot. Uh, maybe not tons, we're talking... 20 decks or so that had one pilot didn't take too close of a look at those but of all the decks that had two or three pilots basically there were two that i thought were interesting that stood out by win rate is it prowess had three pilots one that top uh-huh. aided and one that was in 17th place I had a 66.7 win rate overall this weekend is it prowess the exact list that i played last week Sweet. and i kind of was like meh it's fine turns out some people really really like it and then Elementals had two pilots and also had a sixty six point seven percent win rate, headlined by eventual event winner Derek Davis, who beat Ross Miriam in the finals, as we mentioned earlier. So let's talk about the top eight. Well, actually, before we talk about the top eight, any thoughts about the overall meta here as the last tournament we're probably going to talk about this year?
1: It's beautiful, and I love it. Yeah, there's there's
2: just a lot there's a lot of
1: decks I want to play. Like like all these decks are sweet. Do you know what I mean? Like I think like. I'm not a huge like merk player, but I identify that there's a pl- ton of people who want a strategy like this to exist and be good. And you know, Hammer has its own angle of attack, Rhinos has you know, of course we we Rhino boys here and we love Rhinos. It has its own unique way to play. All these decks are they're not derivative of one another and they attack the meta and the opponent in different ways and create their own like ways of uh, creating advantage on the on the battlefield. And I think that's really sweet. And then even when we get to the below 2% or above 2%, like the, the less represented decks, aggro affinity, and of course, Amulet Titan and Yawgmoth and the control decks and the creativity decks, like, I just think there's so much to modern right now. This is, I guess this will just be like, you know, our swan song to paper magic tournaments right now, or mine at least, which is like, there's so much you can do in modern. And you can really play something that's expressive of how you want to play that week, how you want to play for the next fifteen weeks, and be awesome at it. Uh, how you want to attack the meta game. Uh, it's just—it's still like my by far my favorite format, and I think there's just so much to it that it, it keeps me coming back and keeps me wanting to explore things. Like even when we were playing breach for this week, I was like. This is sweet. I haven't played I haven't played a combo deck where I have to like tap and untap and get stuff out of my graveyard in a dog's age. So it was just it was
2: it was rad. Stan, did you uh did you think at the beginning of this year that we would hear such a love letter to Modern from Shane? No. Right? And I don't I be- I don't believe a word. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure it's sincere. Pandering. I,
0: I, yeah, yeah. Um I will say I mean, even though all these top decks make sense. A little surprised by the drop in creativity. it being like under 40 percent match win rates, very few pilots as well. I wonder what happened to that deck if the truth caught up to people or if things like hammer, um, living end and even scam are like such a problem that creativity just can't keep up. but I, I think that's kind of just conjecture.
2: I will mention really quickly that there were a couple of these new kind of creativity-esque decks that were in there that use like Bitter Reunion and stuff like that. Yes. I think that they might have dragged down the creativity. So there's there's people trying new things out in creativity, including playing it as a Mardu deck, playing it as, you know, going different directions. So we'll see what happens with that. Dave, you want to talk about this top eight? I do want to talk about this top eight. So top eight was pretty interesting, actually. There's two kind of groupings of decks that I had seen here. There's kind of the decks you expected to see, and then there's four decks that were basically new, unique decks or ones that we haven't seen any while in the top eight. So I'm going to start with those. There were four decks in this that I would say were surprising. The first one was Prowess, which we talked about, which was piloted by Victor Logan, who went six, one, and one. It's literally the deck list I talked about last week where, you know, you're playing Third Path Iconoclast instead of Young Pyromancer, instead of uh, Sprite Dragon as your alternative threats, and you are just prowessing and lava darting people. Interesting to see that reemerge. I'm kind of hopeful that it will stay around for a little bit. Next... Elementals. We talked about it. Derek Davis won the tournament piloting Elementals. There's some cool stuff in this deck. Flamekin Harbinger is in these decks again now, which is pretty interesting to be able to to tutor up the Elementals that you want. Also, main decking three Unsettled Mariner, which I feel like I hadn't seen in these decks during the heyday of Yorian elementals or things like that, even though they had space for extra cards. I don't remember them running Mariner all the time. But it's other than that, it's kind of the deck that you're expecting. Still powerful, still grind, still omnaths. Next up there was a Jun deck by Nathan Kaintste that went 60 and 2. It's a, jo- a saga build, of course. It has Soul of Windgrace, which is cool. It also has three Fable of the Mirror Breaker in Modern, just as a value card, not as a combo yeah. enabler of any kind, which is pretty awesome. It also has uh, two Inquisition of Kozilek as a card that we don't always see in these discard suites anymore. They're just running six discard cards like it's 2017, <laughs> which is cool. And then finally, a colorless Tron deck. Which I was sort of not expecting to see, but it was basically Karn Prison almost. It was okay. Eldrazi Tron without the Eldrazi. It's just Serum Powder, Mystic Forge, three Stone Brain in the main to, I'm not sure, I guess, recycle it with Karn over and over again and take your opponent's win cons. Uh, it had a possessed portal in the sideboard, which I think is a lockout play that you can do with Karn or do it, you know, do with certain certain board states for Spellskite main, I guess, to protect Karn or just protect other things that you're trying to do. And for Ballista main. Really interesting deck, but it was basically Karn plus Saga in a prison model. This deck was wild to me. And they that was piloted by Amin Ibadi, and they went six one and one. And then the more expected decks that made it, there was Murktide. One Murktide deck made it, piloted by Gabriel Nicholas. Very stock list, but it had one Archmage's Charm and one Brotherhood and Brotherhood's End in the sideboard. Ross Miriamon Breach, as I mentioned. He's using Oracle as the win con. Nothing else too notable here, although his deck, of course, was Jeskai because he had a couple of Teferi main, another in the sideboard, a Dranith Magistrate to help with the mirror, also had a prismatic ending. So using white for that kind of toolboxy aspect. Also, people are starting to run this card from uh, Shadows over Innistrad called Invasive Surgery as a piece of tech against, uh, I'm assuming against Cascade decks, mostly, although it's probably good against Creativity as well. But check your check your bulk bins for that card if you don't have it. Some decks I've seen run it in as many as a four of quantity. You might just want to see if you have some around because that is a card that used to not be playable but is now playable. And what it does is it is a to negate <laughs> Right? So now,
0: so it's a single blue instant counter target sorcery, but if you have delirium, sorcery. then you surgical all those sorceries. So it's right. like yeah. it's so, like a test of yeah. talent for one
2: mana, but you have to work for it. And it's also only sorcery. That's the Correct. big thing. That's why it's yeah, so it can't, if it was instant in sorcery, that would be, or non creature spell, that would be a functionally better negate. We don't have that, but knowing that it targets sorceries is cool. There's a lot of sorcery payoffs. Uh, hammer, piloted by Travis Williams, it was a mono white build, pretty standard. A lot of zero casting cost creatures, seven, not trying to cheat down on those. Cranial plating instead of nettle cyst and a Paradise Mantle. I'm not exactly sure what the split between Paradise Mantle and Springleaf Drum is always about, but I know that sometimes people run one or the other or a combination of both. Only five of the Pi- Hammer pilots were on Mono White for what it's worth, uh, including Will Krueger and Mason Clark, though. So I think that the good players were playing Hammer uh, in Mono White. I mentioned that earlier, but keep that in mind. And then finally, we had Zach Boblett on Burn, who went 6-1-1. One, and one. It's Burn. It's just a burn deck. Just a burn deck made top <laughs> made top eight. And uh the final, like I said, was between Breach piloted by Ross and Elementals piloted by Derek. Went to three games. I saw a little bit of it when it was happening, and Fury looked like it was just too good against Breach for what it's worth.
1: Any yeah, thoughts? Fury's a good card. Who knew? Oh,
2: it is that. Cool top eight.
1: Yeah, I mean it's eight different decks, which is pretty cool to see. And some weird ones, just you know, like
2: any given Sunday. Or Saturday, in this case, I think. Yeah. They knew the top. I think they played the first round of the top eight on Saturday night and then finished it Sunday morning. There you go. That's modern. Modern's still fun. All right. We're going to talk about Pioneer really quickly. I just have the top eight here in front of me because it was really relevant to the player of the year race. The top eight of this tournament was Nathan Cainstey, Monogreen Devotion, who actually also top eight the modern event on Jund. For what it's worth, Connor Mullally, Mono Green Devotion, Christian Valenti, Obs on Grease Fang, Ryan Kelly, Mono Blue Spirits, Harrison Fang, Mono White Humans, George Jabour, of Azorius Control, no no surprise there, George Azorius Control, <laughs> Hunter Hostono, which looks like a screen name, on Gruel Vehicles, and Don DeLosier on Gruel Vehicles. Interesting topic here to gruel decks is pretty cool. Um, the main reason I mentioned this or wanted to mention this part of the tournament is that Connor Malali making the top eight clinched his winning of the player, the energy player of the year award. Unfortunately, that means that he defeated two friends of the show in that Zach Allen, who didn't have a weekend that really kept him in contention. And Jesse Robkin, who very much did have a weekend that was keeping her in contention especially since she was doing extremely well in the pioneer channel or the pioneer trial had to, she had to win and have Connor not make top eight in order to win oh Player gosh. of the year. Then she got to play him in the last round of Swiss to kind of determine what was going to happen there. And uh, he defeated her and went on to, to uh, take second in the tournament. Connor made the finals in the tournament, lost to Ryan Kelly on mono blue spirits. So your last Pioneer Energy Tournament of the year, Blue Spirit is your winner. Yay. Yay. (laughs) That's what I have to say about that. (laughs) Yay. All right. Anybody have any thoughts about the end of the end of energy the end of tournaments for now before we hop over to the to talk about the uh, the deck
0: congrats to jesse for for going so far in the player of the year race it was really awesome to root for her and it's amazing to see such talent in the dive down nation so yeah it was it it was also a great featured match to watch like it it went to game three it was a real nail biter and then mgd drew karn and karn is a perfectly normal card to have in the format
2: (laughs) Yeah. I will say, you know, given it's the end of the year, it's been great to have this tournament to cover over the last year. It's been fun for us to kind of have a consistent group of players to talk about watch some people that we know a little bit do well members of the nation as as Stan mentioned and people that we've met kind of through the tournament here and there in different ways you know the times that we've been to these tournaments I've only gone to I only went to the one in Mundelein Stan's been to a few it's been nice to meet people from the nation who are doing well and see them kind of progress over the year as well so congrats to everybody involved and we hope to see you next year all right after this we're going to talk about Breach Stay with us. David
1: Stanislav, one of my my favorite days was today. Because I got home and I saw on my doorstep... I'm sorry, I can't hear you over the, all the lovely packaging that I have to open. <laughs> I, on my doorstep was the, the Barrister and Man labeled box, which means it was another Barrister and Man drop. Ooh. And I got a, not a lot of awesome smells uh, in my box. And I thought, you know, it's, 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 you know, as we keep mentioning, holiday season, gifts to purchase, things to purchase for yourself, and the winter scents are upon us. And, you know, of course, when I think of winter, I think of Atomic Holiday. Did you guys? Did you get any atomic holiday? My I friends? did not. No atomic holiday. Let me describe
2: atomic holiday. I'm going to
1: open up this uh, Ziploc bag with the shaving soap sample in it. Okay.
2: Wait, I have one too. I didn't see it here. It's in the bottom. It was in the bottom of the box. I have. I have a sh- sample too. So, Dave, I'm gonna. You open yours. Hmm. I'm gonna tell you what it smells like to me.
1: It smells like Will's gonna hate all of this description, by the way. So, it smells like really good sweet tart candy. Yes. Mm. It smells, it's, it smells like the most delicious sweet tart candy. It is kind of like a lovely, acidic, lemony. kind it's of lemony. orangey, yeah. lemony,
2: citric kind of smell. Yes. Yeah. That's great. Atomic Holiday. Bright. I also got uh, the Fougere Classique. Okay. Fougere Classique or goth- Gothic? Isn't it Gothic? No, this is the this is the Classique. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah. Fougere Classique. Yep.
1: So I'm talking into a plastic bag right now. That's probably why I sound a little weird. Man I don't know how to describe this. it's like it's like a it's like a flowery I, I want to call it like flowery and a little bit of like creamy vanilla but like it's not vanilla y Tell me what you
2: smell. What's your
1: nose smell, Dave?
2: I'm trying it right now. So this one is a little bit more like astringent to me and also smells a little bit like powder kind of oh like the, a yeah, the
1: powder the powder is clutch yeah, there's some like talc type thing going on there. It's really nice though. Like I want to use it. Stat. Like I'm, we're terrible at the, at the descriptions here.
2: Yeah, it's great though. I also got two beard oils today. I got waves as a beard oil, which I didn't. I did not have to kind of have a fresh day sometimes, and I got the Fougère Goth, Gothic Gothic. Oh, ooh, and that is that is a journey. <laughs> I think it's supposed to be. Yes, it is. I
1: got the Taiga beard oil. Oh, and nice. some taiga soap. The taiga is great. It's like my, it, it passed the wife test. Good. And it's it's very, it's like a, a perfect like pine smell. It's not just pine. It's like, you know, of course, it's like a, a rounded, lovely pine. Uh, and I think it's going to be awesome for the winter, for sure. Especially around, of course, the pine tree season. Yeah. Which is all year. Anyway, these are the kind of things that Will is, over at Barrister and Man is releasing, the kind of stuff that we get to try out, and you can try out yourself. There's shaving soap samples, beard oils, hand soaps, bar soaps, all that good stuff. Go into Barristerandman.com, use the purchase code the Down 15 for 15% off your first order, and Will and we appreciate it.
0: All right, so it's time for another deck dive into Jeskai Breach. It's been a long time coming. Astute listeners will hear that I not so subtly have been hinting for weeks now that we should be playing this deck for science and maybe fun and profit. I tried to make Dave do it. He declined. And then finally, (laughs) last week on mic, I sort of put it in writing. Forced us. Yeah. And I'm really excited to talk about it a little bit of, you know, background into our process for this particular deck dive. I played two leagues with it. I kind of feel like I probably got the most hands-on experience for this particular one. So for that reason, you might hear a little bit more of me kind of like explaining cards and plays and some of like the strategic elements. Not necessarily because I'm an expert in this by any means, but maybe just cuz oh, I have the most. Now. Or yeah, I mean, relative to to the three of us, just having the most reps, I, I think I maybe like got the most experience, but really it just posed more questions than provided answers. So that being said, Jeskai Breach. First of all, Jeskai,
1: what does that word mean? That is from Cons uh, to the uh, September twenty fourteen release mm-hmm. date.
0: Mm hmm. Mm hmm.
1: It's one of the one of the one of the the tribe. tribes, houses, any Bajons? houses?
2: Yeah. Factions. I think they're factions. Gangs of Tarkir. Yeah, yeah. Gangs of Tarkir. The streets of Tarkir was one of my favorite sets. <laughs> yeah. Well,
1: so, so anyway, Jeskai, white, blue, red, Underworld Breach. This is this. So you know, as I like doing in these episodes, I always like to look at what's the history of this deck because decks just don't appear out of nowhere. Really. And I feel like we've been hearing so much about Underworld Breach, especially recently, maybe the past six months, eight months, where it's like, hey, is this what, what made this deck happen? Who, who thought this thing up? Uh, why is it all of a sudden the thing I'm hearing a lot about now? But way back when Underworld Breach was even previewed in Theros Beyond Death, uh, January 2020, people were immediately on the synergy with it and Grinding Station. Really? Immediately? You find evidence of this immediately. Yeah, there's there's a Reddit post from January before the set was out. Wow. Okay. Yeah, so people people were on this synergy. Um, and if you don't know what Grinding Station is, two mana artifact tap, sacrifice an artifact, target player puts the top three cards of their library into their graveyard. Then whenever an artifact enters the battlefield, you may untap Grinding
2: Station. Should we also remind people what Underworld Breach does too? Yeah, Underworld Reach. Uh,
1: that's the one under. I'm gonna do it from memory. Okay. One in a red enchantment from Theros Beyond Death. It basically uh, it gives all of your cards flashback for their mana cost with the additional uh, escape clause of exiling three cards from
2: your graveyard, and then it sacrifices at the end of your turn. Yeah. Importantly, not flashback, because if you play a card and it goes back to your graveyard, it's not exiled, which yes, flashback does exile it. You just cast and, it. Yeah. And this card, people said, was... Yogmoth's Will. It's a real Yogmoth's Will effect, if you know what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I mean, so
1: there's these Reddit posts outlining these theory-crafted decks already with like Emery, Urza, Arkham's Astrolabe, Mox Opal, finishers like Grapeshot Shot and Thassa's Oracle. And there is immediate tournament results in SEG events, articles from famous deck builders like Patrick Chapin, who was already predicting Underworld Breach being quickly banned in Modern uh, within a few months, though, like this hype died down. Like Mox Opal was banned before Theros Beyond Death was even released. Astrolabe got banned in July. And then people just sort of realized that like many, you know, quote unquote, broken combo decks of the past, this was pretty easy to disrupt. And featured no real solid plan B when you were disrupted. Because, like, once you knew what your opponent was doing with Breach, and then you had a plan for it, like, this tier zero deck was no longer this format breaking threat that it seemed like it could have been early on. But then, after the release of Modern Horizons 2, weird that MH2 would, would, would change the metagame, people seemed like they began revisiting this archetype. Um, I know one of the big names in uh, this deck was the preeminent Brewer Jiggy Wiggy, early proponent of these new builds. Uh, They were putting newer cards like Urza Saga, Dragon's Rage Channeler, Unholy Heat, Expressive Iteration into the shell, like around September 2021 is when I started seeing it come back. And seemingly Jiggy Wiggy only iterated on this archetype for months. And quickly... Jiggy Wiggy realized, oh, I should have Ragavan in this deck. Ragavan's a very good card. Uh, They were top 32-ing these modern challenges with lists that are really similar to the ones that players are running to this day, of course missing some newer prints. Uh, By the end of 2021, Grinding Breach was an established deck. But like like a lot of these weird and complex and seemingly hard-to-pilot decks of this type, people didn't really pay that much attention to it even then. But then, as often seems to happen, players were kept sticking with it. They kept learning these things. They kept winning with them. Writing articles explaining the core strategies, spreading the breach gospel, and you know, combine that with the release of Ledger Shredder in April of 2022. Paper Magic kept making an increased comeback. And then we had all these top players in the game, like Jesse Robkin and Corey Baumeister, Connor Mullally, Ross Miriam, all continued to perform well with the deck. And that makes people get eyes on it, right? And so Grinding Reach was no longer this like sleeper hit deck, but a breakout star. And you can expect it to be a decent percentage of the field now. I mean, like Dave said, even last week it was the most represented deck at the NRG 5K.
2: And worth mentioning that, you know, for as huge of a year as Jesse has had, she was one of the first people to write about this deck in the later wave. I feel like, and it was one of the first articles that I remember her writing when she started writing for TCG Player. And so I think that that exactly. started to establish some notoriety as well. And then, like you said, yeah, Ross kind of picked it up and started to get Corey to go out after it. So all those former SCG people started to play this deck, and um, we were kind of off to the races through the summer from there.
1: Yeah, so we, we find ourselves here where it can suddenly be the top deck in a room, depending on the room you were in. And so we thought, hey... Why don't we take a look at this deck? We should at least know how this works. We should at least have some experience with it. And Stan, I already forgot how this combo works. I didn't actually forget, but I'm teeing you up. Well, you mentioned... Tell me about
0: the combo. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm glad to. So y- you mentioned that, you know, you, in, in passing, you sort of described it as a, as a complicated combo. And, and it is not. It's not complicated at all. It, it requires a lot of pieces. No. But the combo in and of itself is like really easy to execute it's clicky, but it all makes sense. You're not doing like some KCI manipulation of like not passing priority because of mana abilities or whatnot. It's very straightforward. In fact, it, the whole thing operates at sorcery speed. And Jesse, in her guide, her original guide to this deck, actually spelled it out really nicely. I'm just gonna read what she wrote. So to make this combo work, you really just need a few cards in place. First off, a legend, a legendary permanent. Typically a creature, it's often Emery, but it could be Ragavan, it could even be Teferi. You need a Grinding Station, which is the two-mana artifact that Shane described earlier, that's basically filling your graveyard and untapping every time you put another artifact into play. Yeah, it's a real engine of this deck. Correct. Along with Underworld Breach, which is giving all of your cards recursion and, and working with the Grinding Station to fuel the Escape 3 claws. And then you need a zero mana artifact, ideally Mox Amber, which you're tapping for mana as well, often off of that legend. So the combo works as follows. With a legendary creature in play, you tap your Mox Amber for mana. Then you activate your grinding station, sacrificing your Mox Amber and targeting yourself to mill three cards. Then you cast Underworld Breach. You can also do this if Underworld Breach is already in play. And then use the three cards that you've milled for the escape cost to recast your Mox Amber from the graveyard. When Mox Amber enters the battlefield, grinding station triggers and untaps. Then you can tap your Mox Amber for mana again, sacrifice to the grinding station again, rinse and repeat until you have zero cards in your library. So you're constantly just milling three, recasting your, your Mox Amber, untapping grinding station, so on and so forth. At some point in the process, you will mill over a Thassa's Oracle and when your library is empty, you cast Thassa's Oracle from your graveyard with Underworld Breach as well. There are some alternative kill conditions. Since you're casting cards over and over, you can actually get your storm count to be pretty high, so you can kill with Grapeshot after recasting a zero drop a million times, or um, you can even kill an opponent with Lightning Bolt, just using the same Bolt over and over, um, provided you have enough mana, which you usually do because you're constantly tapping your Hammer
2: yeah and a couple other ways I mean does this also work too where you know you mentioned that you just need a zero casting cost artifact? you can also do this without a legendary creature but with Mishra's Bauble if you have enough mana to cast Oracle when it's is that right?
0: yeah I guess that makes sense if, if you have enough mana just from your lands to cast an Oracle you can go off with a Bauble instead of a Mox Amber right so you're okay. not you're not cracking the Bauble to draw cards you're sacking the Bauble to grinding station worth pointing out right so that's it and it's it's deterministic assuming all of these cards are in play like if you have underworld breach the zero mana artifact in a grinding station like you basically can't lose unless you have to like exile away your win condition so that's kind of the one way it can go wrong but that's really easy to correct for as well assuming you just have enough cards in your graveyard That's one of the nice things about Emery in particular is because she puts extra cards in your graveyard to kind of like give you insulation from potentially exiling away
2: your Wincon to the escape cost. Yep. So big picture here is this is a self-mill deck where the idea is to mill your whole library away to be able to kill somebody with Thassa's Oracle. It's like the main way that this deck is built, right? Yeah.
0: Yeah. And, you know, self-mill... It's technically true, but this isn't like the type of deck where you're spending the whole game trying to put cards into your graveyard because mm-hmm. Underworld Breach doesn't do anything if it's in your graveyard. You, you want to cast it from your hand. Potentially everything else can be in your graveyard. If you've cast an Underworld Breach, you can then just, assuming you have enough cards in your yard, you can like get that legend or grinding station or whatever combo piece you need to go off. But unless you cast Underworld Breach, you're not comboing off in this deck. And until Underworld Breach is in play, like you don't have to really worry about going to great lengths to to mill yourself. Like You're not playing Consider or other self-mill cards other than Emery, just because like Emery does so much to support the combo too. It adds that extra synergy. And the fact that she does do a little self-mill
2: too, I think, is
0: icing on the cake.
2: Makes sense. All right, so if that's the case, what is actually in this deck? All right, so typical deck construction, you have about 16
0: combo pieces with the three grinding station. Four Emery, four Underworld Breach, three Mox Amber, a Thassa's Oracle, and you could argue that Lightning Bolt is one of the combo pieces because it's frequently just a one of, and it's your one of your alt win cons if you can't um, cast the Thassa's Oracle to win the game.
1: Yeah, like someone can name like meddling, you know, name it with meddling Mage or just something weird like that, or right, right,
0: or maybe like you can only produce red mana with your Mox Amber for instance and you can't actually get the blue mana to to cast the oracle.
1: I definitely feel like I probably could I could have won with a lightning bolt once and I just was kind of like I'm just I'm I'm getting to my Thassa's Oracle. I know
2: that's my win con. I probably was just like, "Oh, why why didn't I just do the lightning bolt thing?" Yeah, you're like, "I only needed to cast lightning bolt 3 times. <laughs> I should have just done that." You also run about 21
0: lands. 4 of those are Urza Saga. Urza Saga is really important to this deck just because it can find parts of your combo. The the zero mana ones in particular, it does not find Grinding Station, but it can also be an alternate win condition if your opponents are really actively attacking your combo, just because it can create constructs that actually can get quite big since you are running enough artifacts in this deck with the Mox Ambers and the, and the Bobbles and like a couple other extra saga targets like Aether Spell Bomb and, and Spring Leaf Drum. I'm also frequently seeing an Odawara among the mana base and then. In addition to those five lands, everything is like kind of what you'd expect for a Jeskai deck that's running fast mana with Spire Bluff Canals and then, you know, Fetches and Shocks. You do have 11 card draw spells in some form. That's four Mishra's Bobble, four Expressive Iteration, and three Ledger Shredder. Ledger Shredder is really nice here because it both fills your graveyard for your eventual escape costs and digs you through your library pretty quickly to find your combo pieces. And because you're running four baubles in addition to the three ambers, it's also not hard to trigger Ledger Shredder on turn two with some consistency. The amber doesn't do anything if, if Shredder, Shredder is the only creature on the board, but it's a nice way to just like get that amber out so that you have one of your combo pieces in play when you're ready to go
1: off. Yeah, Ledger Shredder is a super key component to, I think, this deck being what it is right now, both with the pressure it can apply... Uh, and the the ability that it has to turn through your deck and you know, fill the yard, all the things that you want to be doing. A little bit of everything. It's a good bird lawyer.
2: My favorite. I'll take the case.
0: Yeah.
1: Okay. So it does run some protection
0: spells. One of the reasons why you're just Sky is to play Teferi main frequently and then occasional sideboard cards in white as well. Teferi can be a one or two of, and post board protection spells can even include things like Spell Pierce or other cheap counter magic presence of these protection spells i think kind of indicates like how much of a combo deck this is like that's really your your primary concern is to make sure that you can do your thing and one way you do the thing is if your opponent taps out but another way that you can really protect your ability to execute on the combo is just having a teferi in play and the fact that mox amber works with teferi nicely is is an added bonus too and then finally we have eight more modern horizons two cards because modern horizons two cards are good And those are for Ragavan and for
1: Unholy Heat. So I noticed that Dragon's Rage Channeler seems like it's no longer in the deck very often. And even when Jesse was writing about it uh, a few months ago at this point, of course, DRC was in her list, but also along with Ledger Shredder, right? Like it wasn't like Ledger Shredder didn't all of a sudden make DRC completely out of the list. Like, what do you think that Dragon's Rage isn't in there anymore any longer? It seems like a good card for it, like filtering, being a flying threat, filling the graveyard. Mm. Yeah, I, I, my my guess is basically
0: you cut DRC to play the white cards, like Teferi in particular, and that's all I got. I yeah, think you're probably yeah, also running DRC. Yeah, like maybe you're you're running DRC if you're just like on the straight is it version, and then you potentially have to like cut some additional saga targets like Aether Spell Bombs or Spring Drums. And maybe it's a format call, like maybe where you need more Plan Bs with like some aggressive DRCs, because getting to delirium is also not hard at all in an Urza's Saga deck. Yeah, where you like are getting like artifact enchantment land and
1: um, you know either a creature or instant sorcery then in there eventually. So Stan, I think I've mistakenly called this deck in the past, like an, an is not Murktide like variant or just sort of yeah. has like a combo kill. But when I was, pl- when I was playing this deck, I was like, this is not anything like Murktide. Hardly at all. Totally agree. I, I used to incorrectly
0: compare this to both Murktide and Prowess, and I don't think it really bears that much comparison to either of them, apart from the fact that like it shares some cards, but like the game plan is is so different. Primarily because this is just not a control deck where Merctide is like a tempo control deck. This doesn't really function like a tempo deck either. You know, the primary plan is to combo off. And though you can cobble together a plan B, you do this when your back is against the wall. Like if your opponents have really strong hate cards and you need to rely on something like Karnstrux or a big ledger shredder. In general because you're running so many pieces for the combo and and to protect it, that's what you're trying to do. Game one, all the time. And then even game two, I think it's like about counterplay versus opponent's hate versus like
1: trying to pivot into some other strategy. Sure. I, I do think the plan B is like what makes this deck good now. And maybe we can talk about that plan B a little bit later because I think we should really keep talking about the, the primary focus, which, of course, is plan A. Yeah, the combo. The combo, baby. So, yeah, you know,
0: that, that makes an... I think that's an interesting segue about, like, what makes this deck good. Having that plan B, a powerful plan B with big constructs, yeah, that's something. Especially if you're on the construct plan and then you bring in, like, a post-sport Shadow Spear, those constructs are going to, like, win you the game fairly quickly. But I sure. think the other reason this deck and this combo are so good is because it's Splinter Twin. It's just Splinter Twin.
2: Yeah. I am about to hand out citations to people who call things Splinter Twin, because we've already <laughs> gone through... We might be at our quota for decks that are just Splinter Twin this year. In, in Indomitable Creativity was just Splinter Twin. You know, other things are just Splinter Twin. Is this one really just Splinter Twin? Is it... This is more Splinter Twin than Creativity is,
0: yes. Because mm. it's a deterministic kill that happens the turn you line up your combo pieces. Okay. I like that better. So I think that's kind of like the big part. And really like this is the type of deck that really punishes opponents for tapping out in a way that I think Splinter Twin can as well. Where frequently in my matches, I would try to get myself into a position where I'm, you know, once I found all of my combo pieces, I wait to commit until my opponent like makes their big play that I can survive. And then once they do, are incapable of interacting with like a removal spell to kill my Emery or you know a uh, uh, some kind of graveyard instant speed graveyard hate activation or even a counter spell like then I go for it and then once you go for it assuming that you have breach station and a zero drop like you
2: can't lose and then you click a million times and 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 beat them in one turn. Can I can I posit a tweak on this? Now you all might not remember this era. <laughs> but to me this deck sounds a little bit more like a deck that was called Tarmo Twin. Yes. Did you know that Tarmo Twin existed? So because this sounds like a deck that has a deterministic kill like like Stan was saying, but it has the ability to apply pressure in the early game too if you want to via Ragavan, via a good cheap threat that can make a dent and distract your opponent and make them have to deal with it. Which then opens the door for you to combo, and that's that was where a good portion of Splinter Twin was towards the end of that era when it finally was banned. Was we're going to play Tarmogoyf and Splinter Twin in the same deck, attack you on the two axes, and then it's going to be hard for you to keep up. That's really why I think this deck
1: is good, and I think I feel like Stan. I mean, you you played a bunch with it, and I I'm curious how often you felt like your plan B more or less like the uh, aggression in the air with ledger shredder with ragavans on the ground, providing kind of some annoyance and some potential mana and your ability to maybe interact with something that's like blocking your ledger shredders from attacking. I felt like I was putting pressure on my opponents pretty efficiently and really applying pressure where it's like, Hey, if you're disrupting my combo, then I'm able to beat down. And so, like, your sideboard games aren't that effective, especially if you over sideboard, which I want to talk a little bit about later. And then, like you mentioned, with the, the construct aspect that got added with Modern Horizons 2, of course, like, I feel like that really, you know, stresses your opponent on both axes, both on the grindy, not really aggression, but the the fact that you can make. Substantially sized creatures that are, that are attacking through, as well as always constantly threatening, the combo attack is is really the the pressure that this deck does so well, and why I think this deck has made a substantial comeback since Modern Horizons two, right? Which is like you know the the early editions were just like, hey, this combo seems broken. They can do it on turn two, turn three, and we all know what happens to every deck like that. Is like it's it's just a glass cannon. Um, it's not as reliable as one might like, and sort of becomes either fringe or unplayable. And then once you get the secondary axis is when decks like this become real deal issues. And, and I think we saw that with like combo control decks, and this is sort of like a, I wouldn't know if I'd call it a mid-range control, but it certainly is something similar to it. Yeah,
0: just to put a pin on this Splinter Twin discourse, I opened up twitter to find a tweet from this morning and th- this tweet was actually made after i wrote the notes so i'm I'm not piggybacking on todd anderson he and i just kind of came to the same conclusion that i'm sure plenty of others have come to as well he wrote 11 hours ago at 9 a.m cards on the modern list that can come off and why number one splinter twin because breach is effectively the same deck but much cheaper and requires different interaction so there you go strong sad says so too by the way, I, <laughs> because I'm lo- looking at Twitter to, to quote this tweet, among my trending topics is Dranith Magistrate. So I don't know what's happening in the world of Commander. Is a trending topic? Glad I'm not part of that discourse. Not again. Uh. Okay, so that's what makes us that good. That's our hot take. Our, our, probably the end of our Splinter 10 quota for the year. Should we talk a little bit about like what we learned picking it up and, and maybe just some high-level tips for anyone who's considering
1: trying it as well? I love tips. Let's see. Stan, what's your think, what do you think the hottest tip you have is? Like, What was the thing that you felt like was, was unlocking something new in your modern learnings? You can beat graveyard hate. That was sort of the thing that
0: when someone like played an endurance against me incorrectly, and then they wiped my graveyard, and I was still able to combo off with my graveyard, was when I realized that this deck is resilient. I think... Mistimed effects like endurance or Tormod's script, or like you know activating the the mana ability on Relic of Progenitus. In some cases, are totally useless against you because if you have the means to maybe like put one extra card into your graveyard by like cracking a fetch or something, or casting an emery to put several extra cards in your graveyard, after they try to wipe out your graveyard, you can then like do the grinding station thing because. Your grinding station is always going to provide you enough cards to escape things to breach. Now, on the other hand, more static graveyard hate like rest in peace and ley line, that's super annoying and like kind of a problem that you almost can't deal with unless you draw your Teferi to bounce it. But otherwise, you know, the disposable graveyard hate that is still pretty popular, I think, isn't like lights out. And that was one of the things that of that illuminated to me like how powerful and resilient this deck can be, considering that the graveyard is central to the combo plan.
2: Dave, did I see a question or a comment? I was just going to say it seems to me like most people who are trying to sideboard against this deck are thinking about axes other than the graveyard, from what I can see. Right. Like, that's why you're not seeing a bunch of people side in Leyline of the Void into this deck for mirror matches i think that's why you're not seeing people like the thing that i saw that was interesting to me as far as sideboard goes is that it seems like just killing the creatures is really good too you know just killing having fury out there being able to kill ragavan emery and potentially teferi seems like a pretty good play as well and then also like i mentioned Dranath magistrate itself is a, a card that people are starting to use against this deck too and is also good against Cascade. So I, I feel like there, it's maybe like Graveyard Hate is first-level good sort of against this deck, but there might be other axes that are better to attack it on.
0: Yeah, I mean, like, if you have Endurance, I think you, you play it. Yeah. Because you can you can get them if you're timing it carefully, but that's the secret. Like, you have to do it just right at the, at the right time. Otherwise, they'll just, like,
1: ignore your interaction and combo off anyway.
2: Shane, what, what was your big observation from playing mm. the deck?
1: I think the biggest I mean, here's the problem with this, like in and like my ability to do anything with it is like I'm playing it at, you know, baby mode. Like I'm like, you know, this is like the this is yeah. the, the, the just the learning things. And I feel like there's so much to the nuance of this deck for like optimizing it. And I think you could say that about a lot of modern decks, but I think this is one of them that's probably even more true because you have like little pieces that can work in certain ways and you have to kind of identify when you can go for certain lines or when you need to kind of like take a chance on something. But I think the biggest thing I learned in picking it up is like the combo is really easy. And, and it, just, it just works very straightforward-like. And I think you can look for different ways to win off your combo. Like, you know, do look for the lightning bolts, like repeated lightning bolt thing. Do look for different ways that you, know, you don't have to have the Mox Amber type thing. And I think really thinking about your sequencing of lands is always, of course, important. Because when your, when your Urza's Saga is going to pop to get your Mox Amber matters, but at the same time, then you're also potentially losing some mana, and the deck can run pretty lean. But sometimes it actually does make sense to play it turn one, which is not typical. Like, I I definitely saw an opportunity where it's like, oh, I think I actually should have played my Urza Saga turn one, which is not something I typically would do, but it's kind of like, okay, Saga turn one, like Emery turn two, then I'm going to get the Mox Amber like a turn early, which is you know, cuz usually you're kind of like well i'm never going to play my Urza saga so turn 1 but mm-hmm. this like i said this this deck runs pretty lean if you if for some reason you have the you can replace your mana of course never forget that you can get your springleaf drum uh, you have some tech pieces like aether spellbomb in there as well so there's like there's a lot of like little nuance but at the same time i think just casting some creatures and applying some pressure or having like the combo really early are both good ways to like play the game that this deck is trying to do. So I think what I really picked up on this deck and why I think it's good is like the flexibility of it, where it's just like, hey, these are these are some good cards and some bad cards, like grinding station, but that allow you to win the game with the combo. And at the same time, like Underworld Breach is just such a powerful spell where it's like if you're in the late game you can win off an underworld breach. Like if, if you're playing like a long drown out game, someone's like force of vigor, uh, your grinding station and mox Amber and stuff like that. And they're just continue sort of like chipping away at your pieces. If you have enough mana and you just play one underworld breach and you have enough cards in the graveyard, like you can just win from that position where it's like, okay, I'm going to get Emery back. I'm, you know, uh, I mean, of course, every doesn't have haste, but, So you don't even need it at that point because you just get your Emory back, get your Mox Amber back and your grinding station. All you need is, uh, what 12 cards, no 15 cards for that. And then you're good to go. That's the kind of stuff I found myself even recognizing and surprised I recognize it, but it's just like, it's some of those things are so obvious where it's like, Hey, uh, I can win with one card effectively. Yeah. Well, so you made this one point
0: that I think is actually really interesting. I'd love to touch on, which is you're, you said you're playing this on baby mode. And the deck is hard, though the combo is not. Yes. Right? Like, I, I guess, you know, one piece I mo- one piece of advice I might offer to people curious about picking it up is that you shouldn't be intimidated by the combo aspect of the deck. Just because, like, it's so easy to execute. It requires, if you're doing this online, it requires a lot of clicks. If you're doing it in paper, like, you can just indicate what the combo is and shortcut that way. But it's not so many clicks that you're ever going to time yourself out. That That's not the problem. And most people scoop politely. I think where this deck becomes challenging is finding those those lines on when to go for it when to rely on like alternative threats you know what you're discarding to things like ledger shredder it's the micro decisions that get really hard that you need to execute correctly in order to find the opportunity to basically win on the spot but you know if, if you have some experience with like splinter twin style decks or like want to try a new shell for your Ragavan, but you don't play a lot of combo decks, don't let the combo discourage you from from trying this. Like This is a great way to test your might just because of the challenges is in piloting the deck and not necessarily in executing the combo. As far as some additional tips I, I picked up that um, I feel like we should at least touch on, I'll reiterate, you have three cards that activate Mox Amber, and they're all good for the combo, Ragavan is arguably the worst because you prefer that your Amber taps for blue so that you can win with Asa's Oracle. Um, and that's why like Emery's potentially the best because she's arguably the cheapest. You can cast Emery for one mana if you have enough artifacts out. Teferi's serviceable as well. But if your only way of producing mana with Amber is tons of red mana from something like Ragavan, chances are that means you're going to have to win with Lightning Bolt escapes rather than with um, the fastest Oracle plan. Also, don't forget that you can cast Emery on turn 1 and she's a total lightning rod, but do you have some redundancy with Underworld Breach that you can actually recast her later if you need to? So it might be worth to just like get her out there because I shouldn't put it like you are running really lean on mana and sometimes it's hard to like have all the mana in place to cast all of your combo pieces in the same turn. For me at least, I found a lot of situations where like I was trying to put my pieces into position so that like I can only eventually combo off by casting one spell that unlocks the whole thing and lets me go off. But you know, if you if you have a land and two zero mana artifacts, like a, a couple bobbles or a bobble and an amber, you can run that emery out really early and then potentially like start to combo off. Definitely on turn three, maybe on turn two, because the amber produces mana. I don't think so though. I think you I think you need more than two two lands and an amber. Dave, figure that out. You do the math while
2: we while we talk about other tips and tricks. Yeah, you gotta get grinding station and reach out there at the same time. So yeah. you need four mana, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's a lot.
0: So I think I think I think turn three is the earliest that you can combo off. Well, you can have double mox amber. Yeah.
1: Yeah, that's a good point. Stanislav. Shane. Do you want to talk about how you can fight against this deck if it's the scourge of your local meta, or you're just facing up against it at FNM? Oh sure.
0: So here's some of the things that people did against me that was really successful and annoying: pithing needle, name and grinding station. Ugh, terrible. Just an absolute nightmare situation. You need to ferry in. Like if, if they pithing needle you game one somehow, <laughs> like you basically need to ferry to get out of that, or you're counting on like a whole other win condition.
2: Yeah, or Odawara,
0: right? Yeah, or you're one of Odawara. Yeah, likewise, Chalice on Zero can be a huge problem since you need to recast Zero drops over and over. Chalice on One doesn't really do anything against you, but a Chalice on Zero can can be a pretty effective lock. I also found that Blood Moon or like Alpine Moon or or Spreading Seas to attack the Urza Saga in particular can be super annoying, just because Urza Saga gives you like redundancy in combo pieces since it's finding your mox ambers or your opals or you know whichever zero drop you're trying to win with or giving you a plan b so like i had one opponent play an alpine moon naming urza saga i had actually two urza saga in my hand so it was like super devastating for that reason but also it just kind of kept me from like finding my pieces quickly enough to actually do something and and bought my opponent enough time to to beat me all right, another really effective way to beat this deck, Karn the Great Creator or Stony Silence effects. They just shut off the combo completely. It's it's basically the same as pithing needle on a grinding station, but it always but it also impacts your mox amber. And pretty much all graveyard hate is good, I think. Like you play it if you have it, but static effects like Rest in Peace and Leyland of the Void, I think are the strongest because as i mentioned like you can actually sometimes outplay a, a one shot graveyard hate card but something that sticks around forever basically will keep you from comboing off at all for sure i, I also found like i had a lot of trouble with other combo decks so i had one match go up against song of Cre- uh, creation song of creation yeah thank you the song of creation combo which i've actually never played against before but them having thing access to like both veil vale of summer to prevent my counterplay just was like a turn faster than me. And, and maybe part of that is because I was still learning this deck too, but like Titan was kind of a problem as well, just because their Valakas will blow up your important permanence um, and they can urge a saga for things like Pithing Needle if they need to. I think that combo decks are one of like the biggest challenges for me to overcome as well as Odrazi Tron. Though I did not play with it, it is, like, no secret that Eldrazi Tron exists right now to just, like, completely punish this
2: deck. Or also, I would say, that colorless Tron deck that was, like, Eldrazi Tron without Eldrazi that was in the top eight of the energy tournament. You know, Karn plus Pithing Needle, I'm sure, plus Chalice. I mean, like you said, it's a lot of main deck hate for this. Yeah,
0: exactly. And just, like, even thought not seer in the etron deck to like take an important combo piece out of your hand is is really annoying. So, if 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 you're trying to beat this deck at your LGS,
1: maybe sleep up some manner shapers. Yeah. I mean, or mystic forges. Sure. I mean, I think one thing that I definitely experienced was people overboarding against me and really like hampering their own game plan. Like I definitely saw like the old disruption without a clock thing, and if when you combine this with the fact that like as the underworld breach player, excuse me, the grinding breach player, like I'm bringing in my own sideboard cards to try to stop my opponent's like key pieces, like I remember that there was like a, a match where I had wear tear in out of the side, and my amulet opponent is like, yeah, I have my amulet of vigor, I have my dryad. And I take care of both of those with a single card and they're not progressing their game plan. And they're just sort of like, you know, meekish, meekishly casting like, uh, endurances against me when they need to, or force of vigors. And I'm winning with like, you know, 15 minutes into the, into the game where it's like just grind, 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 win. And I think that that's something that's like very tempting where it's like, you could have literally, 8 to 9 cards in your sideboard that you could ostensibly be like this is good this is good this is good but at the same time like like always it's remember that they have alternate game plans and remember that they can win if you run out of these pieces and they just eventually cast an underworld breach and and take over the game and i think that you have to like remind yourself, like, what's my primary game plan, and what's enough disruption where I'm going to see one or two pieces that will allow me to uh, to stop what they're doing. Did you did you experience that at all, where it's like, man, they there's, there's so much hate, but, like, they're not killing me. They're not doing what they're supposed to do. Yes, but then they eventually killed me,
0: is the way I put it. Like, I had this one opponent, i trying to remember what deck they were on, that cast Alpine Moon And Leyline of the Void against me. And I was just I there was nothing I can do there because I could no longer make Karnstrucks or ever dream of comboing off. So even though those two things are not threats, I was I felt effectively locked out. And though potentially, you know, you could have or I could have like gone all in on Ledger Shredder and, and Ragavans, I think. Those are slow win conditions. So the decks that are like playing certain types of hate, they'll either then also have their interaction for your, your dinky creatures, or they'll just have the win condition that can outpace your dinky creatures. Yeah. I will I, I will say like I think Karnstruck's are the, the best plan B. I'd rather rely on like for sure seven seven than, you know, maybe a three five flyer if if I'm cooking.
2: Yeah. I mean, I think it's the combination of the two, right? It's like you get one hit in with a carnstruck and then you get two hits in with your ledger shredder and that's enough to close it, you know, because they deal with your carnstruck or find a way to block it or, or something, but they can't, can't stop the best ability in magic all the time. Flying flight. Yeah.
0: <laughs> that's elevation, Kyle. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that, that was so- my experience. I, I really liked it.
2: I was just going to say, like, bottom line, did you guys enjoy, you guys enjoyed playing it, it sounds like, or? Here's my bottom line.
0: After casting uh, Underworld Reach for the first time, that card's insane. Like, all the hype about how really good that card is and, like, why more decks aren't playing it, like, I'm starting to buy into this notion that, like, Underworld Breach is one of the best underplayed cards in the format
2: yeah you you probably missed this on the show last week after you left to go back to sleep but i talked about breach and prowess and i said i said yeah this is all really cool but the real star of this show is underworld breach and i suspect this isn't the best shell for that card but that card is absurd and uh so i'm i I, it sounds to me like and results would bear out that this deck is a much better place to be playing Underworld Breach. Does that mean I'm going to pick this deck up? I don't know. I don't know if I have enough patience to to <laughs> do this instead of prowess on like a Friday night when I want a league or whatever. But it's clear that, like you said, Stan, that card is absurdly powerful combined with whatever zero drop you want. Obviously, Mishra's Bauble is going to be your frontline choice most of the time, but, you know, Mox Amber is the, the one of the other pieces of choice here in uh prowess it's mutagenic growth where you know sure it costs you life but if you can get so many spell triggers or whatever you can just do a lot cast a spell over and over again that's the real key and the wild thing is that escape does not exile spells after you use (laughs) use it yeah yeah that's the key but shane what did you think about this deck so you played i didn't have a chance to play this deck this weekend don't play it with a track i did the breakdown what's that don't play it with a trackpad play it
1: with a mouse like my, yeah. when you when your opponent makes you combo off, you're wishing you had a mouse next to you and on your laptop. Uh, that's my main, that's my main, main point. I thought it was cool. Like I would, I definitely would need a, a bunch more reps with it to be like, yeah, this is like a, a deck I want to be playing with it. I mean, it's not a deck that I'm going to make my, my main deck. Like, it's not the kind of thing. Like I don't like, I don't love losing to disruption, that much, like where it's like my, my, my plan A is so strong, but then I lose to disruption. And I'm, I'm sure the, the best players have lots of game plans for getting around that or dodging it or having their plan B be their, their primary focus. But i kind of prefer like a more even game plan where it's like, you know, that's why we have like five bounce effects in rhinos because you, you know, you, you get rid of that hate piece and do what you need to do. And, That's the kind of thing where it's like, you know, man, maybe it should be playing Brazen Borrower, Stan. Let's just, let's just change this deck up, add four Brazen Borrower. And remove, remove the grinding breaches. Call all this a deck. I mean, grinding stations, call it a deck.
0: You don't have to twist my arm to put Brazen Borrower in decks that
1: shouldn't (laughs) be running Brazen Borrower. Yeah. I mean, yeah, obviously not. But I I think like, you know, it's a, it's a cool deck. Um, I get why people like it. I can like sense the, innate strength I can sense the different game plans inside it and I think that' it's, it's doing a lot of cool things and I, and I get why people like it too because it's like it's it's fun to play it's fun to kind of get to the combo situation you know much like when I was into creature combo strategies it's kind of the same thing right where it's like I get these pieces together on the board and I'm gonna do something cool. I think it with this it's a lot easier to get the pieces together because of the absurd power of underworld breach. Where, like I mentioned earlier, it's like, you know, you you can just, you can literally just cast it and win, depending on the game state. I'll give it a a sleeve, I guess. Maybe you believe (laughs) Binance. Thanks. Thanks. Um, I experienced something on Moto that I've never experienced before
0: while playing this deck in a match where my opponent made me play it out. So, whenever I need to do a bunch of activations of Grinding Station, I right click, always yes auto-yield, right? Like, it just... It saves you three clicks, I think. Modo now has a loop detection. And this only happened to me once. It only happened to me once. but It was really friggin' annoying that when I would do the thing, I would get a little pop-up that says, Magic Online has recognized the loop, and we have reset no. all of your auto-yields. So, so <laughs> I would... Do, do the thing to make my loops easier and then Magic Online would just like disengage them for whatever reason because it recognized
1: I did, I did not have this happen. Weird. Really really bizarre. I hated it.
0: I, I guess I probably still won because I was looping, but
1: <laughs> this is I, mean, good, I did you still know what? win.
0: Yeah, you still win. You got Looper on the screen. You're doing a loop on your Magic Online. So there you go. Yeah, I'm with chain. I'll sleeve it or believe minus somewhere between the
2: two. <laughs> Perfect. Well, thanks for the summation and thanks for Testing this deck when I didn't have a chance to, and uh, not making me embarrass myself by talking about how I went 05 with Breach or something like that in a league. Still sounds good. Class of the tournament or class of the format. I imagine we will be talking about this deck in passing again soon going forward. We'll see if any of us picks it up and gives it a try for actual play anywhere. But
0: well, there we did it. Deck's good. Deck is good. We did another deck dive. I wonder what the next deck dive will be. I don't know. But I'm excited to find out. Until then, that does wrap up this week's show. If you haven't yet, make sure you subscribe to our podcast so you get the latest episodes as soon as they come out. And if you use Apple Podcasts, please leave us a rating and a review. If you'd like to reach out to us directly, you can tweet us at the Dive Down all one word, or you can email thedivedown at gmail.com. If you'd like to support the show, you can join our Patreon at patreon.com slash thedivedown. Also, shout out to Traders for sponsoring the Dive Down. If you sign up for Traders using promo code thedivedown10, all one word, 10 is a number. You'll get 10% (laughs) off your first two months of renting Magic Online cards. And also get some amazing shaving soaps, body soaps, fragrances, and more at Barrister and Man using promo code TheDiveDown15 for 15% off your first order. Perfect for the holidays. Get the people in your life some fancy soaps. Get them smelling good. And save money on paper cards over at NerdRageGaming with code Dive8 to get 8% off your order at NRG. As always, special thanks to the bands Nowhere and Spaceblood for letting us use their music. And until next week, get out there and do more Breaches!